Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Southwest Radio Ministries and Watchmen on the Wall are celebrating 90 years of proclaiming the truth that God is still on the throne and prayer changes things. This week, we're continuing our celebration with classic programs from J.R. Church, David Weber, Larry Spargimino, Noah Hutchings, and Kenneth Hill. Throughout the month of April, we have special programs from our Radio Vault, exciting announcements about the future of the ministry, and a unique and special opportunity to support the ongoing work of SWRC. Please be in prayer as we celebrate God's faithfulness for the past 90 years and prepare to continue to meet the mission of bringing clarity to the chaos. Today, we have a special treat from 2002 Noah Hutchings and the founder of Prophecy in the News, J.R. Church, will take us on a journey through the pages of the Old Testament and reveal God's plan for the defeat of Lucifer. This is a marvelous study on the eve of Adam. This book is mainly a study about biblical types, is it? Yes, it is. The key verse is in Isaiah chapter 46 when God said, I am God, there is none else. I am God, there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. In other words, God did not wait until the days of David to start declaring the end. He didn't wait to Daniel or Ezekiel or Isaiah or Jeremiah. He started with Adam to show us the prophecies of his plan of the ages. So you see, the creation of Adam was not an afterthought. God didn't create mankind because he was lonely and needed somebody to fellowship with. God had a plan for the defeat of Lucifer, and it involved the guilty pair in the garden. When Adam and Eve sinned, God didn't say, Oh, no, whoops, what a mistake. What are we going to do? God didn't say that. God knew. In fact, I have a scenario in my own mind that when Lucifer came flying by that beautiful garden and he saw two people down there, Lucifer thought, aha, recruits for my cause. And he went down and he deceived Eve and got her to eat. And then Adam ate of the fruit. And instead of God saying, oh, no, I think God said, got him. You see, God had a plan for the defeat of Lucifer, and this was God's plan. I think he's defeating Lucifer. It's kind of like a kid saying to the bully, I'm going to send my grandma to beat up on you because God took the weakest thing in his creation to defeat Lucifer. People often wonder, why did God put up with Lucifer after the rebellion anyway? Why didn't he just evaporate him and be done with it? Why has he put up with him all these years? Because everything Lucifer touches is corrupted. Well, God had a plan by which he would thoroughly defeat Lucifer to the reconciliation of all things in heaven and in earth. So it was a plan for redemption, as well as the defeat of Lucifer. In chapter 3, you bring about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yes. Abraham is a type of God the Father. Isaac, a type of Christ. Do you remember the sacrifice of Isaac? 
Yes. It's the most perfect type of the Calvary experience in the whole Bible. We look at the offering of Isaac, and he represents, I think, Christ. And then, of course, remember, Isaac gets a bride, Rebecca, and she's a type of the church. It's just marvelous the way everything is laid out so beautifully in the scriptures. And how about Jacob? Jacob and Esau, I think, are a type of New Testament Christianity. Esau, more of a type of liberal theology, and Jacob a type of the conservatives. There are two types of Christians in this world, you know, those who believe and those who don't, basically. <laughs> that, that is absolutely true. We come on over to Job. You have a marvelous chapter here on the sufferings of Job. You read the commentaries or studies on the book of Job, and so many say that Job was a Gentile, or they don't know who he was, and yep. they think he was contemporary with Abraham, or maybe he even preceded Abraham. Could you tell us about your research on the character of Job and what his sufferings here, was there a purpose to all that? Okay, you know, Job is one of the enigmas of the Bible. The question is, why do the righteous suffer? And Job is said to be the oldest book in the Bible. I believe it is. I think it was written before Moses came along and wrote Genesis. But the question is, why was Job included in a Jewish Bible since everybody thinks he was a Gentile? Well, the truth of the matter is, Hutch, I believe he was the third son of Issachar. Do you remember in Genesis 46 when Jacob and his 70 kids came down to Egypt to live with Joseph after he found out that his son was alive? The Bible says 70 came. And in chapter 46, verse 13, it lists the sons of Issachar as Tola, Fuva, and Job. Now, the question is, was this that Job? I think it was. And the reason I think so is because he lived in the land of Uz, and he was very wealthy. Well, you know, there are scriptures in Jeremiah that imply that the land of Uz lay just east of the land of Goshen and just south southwest of Philistia are the five cities of the Philistines. Let me give you an example. Jeremiah 25, 19 through 21 begins to list. Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and his servants, and his princes, and all his people, and all the mingled people, and all the kings of the land of Oz, and all the kings of the land of the Philistines, Ashkelon, Gaza, Ekron, the remnant of Ashdod. Jeremiah begins in chronological order in the south with Egypt, and then moves right up to the land of Uz, and from there to Ashkelon, and Gaza, and Ekron, and Ashdod. So he goes from south to north. And then the next verse, 21, he talks about Edom, Moab, and the children of Ammon. He goes from south to north there as well. So the land of Uz seems to be located just in that neck of land east of Goshen, where all of the caravans would come from Mesopotamia Valley, around the Fertile Crescent, down into Egypt and Africa to trade. Naturally, being positioned at that very spot, he would become a wealthy man. He probably had the last trading post, you know, had a big sign up. Last chance to get gas <laughs> before crossing the desert. So Job was wealthy and he was the third son. In fact, he was probably around nine, ten years old when they went down into Egypt. 
And then he grew up to become a wealthy man. But he went through all of these trials and hardships. And he died in the fourth, when he saw the fourth generation. If you remember, God said to Abraham, your children are going to go down into a land where they'll be found in bondage. But after 400 years, in the fourth generation, they'll come out. Well, I think that's a reference to the same four generations of Job's day. Job died just before the Pharaoh threw the Jews into slavery. And the book of Job was written to encourage the Jews that were languishing in Egyptian bondage to take heart that God's going to take care of them in the end. They may be wondering, why are we suffering this Egyptian bondage right here? But God's going to win in the end. And of course, Moses came along and led the children of Israel out. But the children of Israel, during those years of severe bondage in Egypt, were able to get a glimpse of the future through Job, that God was going to bless them in the end. I think that's why Job was written. So Job was a prophecy. Job represents the nation of Israel. His three friends represent the three races of humanity, the offspring of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. But then there's Elihu the Buzzite. And by the way, all three friends condemn him, don't they? All the reason you're suffering is because you're a wicked man. But the truth of the matter is, that's the way the world looks at the Jews today. They're suffering because they deserve to suffer, says the world. But Elihu the Buzzite comes along and he has the true picture of why Job is suffering. And I think he's typical of Gentile Christianity. We, by the way, are the only true friends of Israel. And then God comes down in a whirlwind. That's the second coming of Christ. (laughs) And when he gets here, he judges those three friends, has no kind words to say about them. And he lifts Job up from his poverty and sickness and makes him wealthy again, twice as wealthy as he ever was before. I think that's the millennial reign of Christ. And he gives him his seven sons and three daughters, either returns them from the dead or gives him seven more sons and three more daughters. But it is a picture of the resurrection. And also his latter days where he is so enriched and restored that which he's lost. Does that depict Israel during the kingdom age? Yes, it does. When Israel will be set at the head of the nations. Uh, that's a it's, marvelous It's a beautiful mar- story. It is. It's a marvelous study. And uh, you brought it out so wonderfully here in your, in your book. The title of the book is On the Eve of Adam. Of course, it's by Dr. J.R. Church, God's Ancient Plans for Satan's Defeat. And the greatest enemy of the Jews today, of course, is Satan, who is still trying to defeat the nation of Israel. Yes. Because if they can defeat the nation of Israel, eliminate the nation of Israel, then God's promise for the Messiah to come back would not be in effect, would it? That's right. You know, the interesting thing about Job's friends, there's Eliphaz, who's the son of Edom. And so that puts us right back in the days, shortly after Jacob, who is the twin brother of Esau, and his kids all go down into Egypt. So the time frame fits perfectly. 
for that time when they lived in the land of Goshen between the life of Joseph and the life of Moses. There's another marvelous type that you bring out in your book. I believe it's on Joseph. Yes, the rejected Joseph. One of the clearest pictures of the life of Christ the Messiah in Joseph. He was rejected by his brothers, so was Jesus. And when the big famine comes, the seven-year famine, which is typical of the seven-year tribulation period, they're going to come looking for him. (laughs) Though they don't recognize him at first, he will eventually be revealed to them. This is so prophetic. And so it's all laid out. We're still in the book of Genesis, you know. And so when Isaiah says, I am God declaring the end from the beginning... It simply means that God had a plan from the very beginning and every single hero of the, of the Old Testament fits the plan. Amen. Tell us about Joshua and Caleb. Joshua is a type of Jesus. His very name is the Hebrew word for the New Testament Jesus. Yehoshua or Yeshua. It's the same basic word. And Joshua... Uh, Moses represents law, so he couldn't lead the children of Israel into the promised land. You can't get to heaven by law. The story of Joshua is the story of grace and the leading the children of Israel into the promised land. Jesus is the only way to get to heaven. So Joshua is a type of Jesus and uh, setting up the kingdom. One of these days, Joshua, the greater Joshua, is coming to establish the kingdom. Well, Joshua was one of the two spies who said, we can go in to the promised land. And Caleb was the other one who said, yes, we can. The message is there. God is with us. But the other 10 spies said, no, we can't go in. There are giants in the land. You remember the story. Well, Joshua is a type of Christ. He's the only one. Moses, 40 years later, by the way, during those 40 years, Joshua fades from view. But when the 40 years is ended, Joshua is appointed by Moses to succeed him. He's a prophecy of Jesus, the greater Moses, who's coming. And then Caleb was a Gentile. Caleb, one of the ten spies, representing the tribe of Judah, was a Gentile. The interesting thing about it is that Judah could not go in. Judah could not be numbered with the tribes because of the sin of Judah when he committed adultery with Tamar. And his son, Pharez, was an illegitimate son. The Mosaic Law says no illegitimate son can stand in the congregation of the Lord for ten generations. So Judah needed a substitute when he came to the ten spies, and they picked Caleb, a Gentile, to substitute for Judah. Well, that's Gentile Christianity substituting for Judah today. The tribe of Judah are the children of Israel. So we have taken their place. Now, at the end of the 40 years when they went into the promised land, Caleb asked for Hebron and was given that as an inheritance. Hebron means seat of association associated with Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a type of heaven. Hebron is a type of heaven. In fact, its very word Hebron seems to be a root from which we get the word heaven. And so Gentile Christianity 
is a part of the Commonwealth of Israel. We may be Gentiles, but we have arrived at the place of substitution, just like Caleb did. But of course, this time of substitution will end, won't it? Yes, when we're all one. And Caleb lived and his posterity in Hebron from then on. That was their inheritance. So they have an inheritance with the children of Israel. We have an inheritance with the chosen people as well. We're married to Jesus. <laughs> but God has not utterly cast away Israel, has he? No, he hasn't. That's right. In fact, when we get to Revelation chapter 4 and see the 24 elders, they are a type of Old Testament saints and New Testament saints. When we start singing in uh, Revelation 15, we sing the song of Moses, that's for the Old Testament saints, and we sing the song of the Lamb, that's for the New Testament saints. And we get over to the New Jerusalem, has the names of the 12 tribes of Israel on the gates and the names of the 12 apostles on the foundations. So we're all a part of the bride when it's finally done. Your latest book, On the Eve of Adam, this is our gift to those who support the ministry. If you would also like Brother Church's other book, On the Menorah, could you briefly tell us something about your book on the menorah? Yes, we wrote that book to show the designs of the Bible. The menorah has seven lamps, and all of the sevens in the Bible have a menorah design. The fourth lamp, for example, is the servant lamp, and it is elevated above the other lamps. The three lamps to the west are turned facing the servant lamp. The three lamps to the east are turned back facing the servant lamp. One is a prophecy, the other is a fulfillment. But the one that gives the illumination or the light or the understanding to any seven in the Bible is the fourth one. I'll give you an example. In the six days of creation, the seventh day wherein God rested, the sun was created on the fourth day because it was the servant lamp, not on the first day. And then there are the seven feasts of Israel. And Pentecost is the fourth feast. That's when the Spirit came like fire. That's the servant lamp. And we can go from there to any of the sevens in the Bible and see the same menorah design. But in this book called The Mystery of the Menorah, we also give the meanings of the Hebrew letters. There are 22 Hebrew letters. Each one of them has a meaning, and they tell the gospel story. From the Aleph, God the Creator King, to Bait, the duality of good and evil, to the plan under the Gimel, God's promise that he'll save us, to the Dalit, the door or pathway to salvation, to the Hay, the work of the Holy Spirit in salvation, to the Vav, the Messiah and his part in salvation, to the Zion, the focal point of it all. I mean, it's marvelous all the way through, and we add all, we put all this together. The average person does not read Hebrew. They can understand this book. One of the videos in this series is Breaking the Cryptic Code. Tell us a little more about what this video is about. Breaking the Cryptic Codes is a comparison of each chapter in the Gospel of John with each chapter in the book of Revelation to show how the chapter 1 of John's Gospel covers the same subject as chapter 1 of Revelation. For example, in Revelation chapter 1, we have Jesus walking in the midst of the seven lamps of the menorah. In John's Gospel, chapter 1, we have 
the light mentioned seven times. Revelation chapter 1, we have I'm the Alpha and Omega. In John's Gospel chapter 1, he is the Word, the Logos. And chapter 2 represents chapter 2 of the other book, chapter 3, and so on. For example, in chapter 13 of Revelation, we have the Antichrist, the beast out of the earth, the beast out of the sea. But in John's Gospel, chapter 13, we have the rebellion of Judas Iscariot, the type of the Antichrist. It's really amazing how that each chapter fits with the other. And that's a cryptic code that nobody's ever seen before. You won't find that in anybody's commentaries. We've been listening to a classic Watchman on the Wall program, first aired in 2002. The complete details of their discussion are laid out in J.R. Church's classic book, On the Eve of Adam. We also have available the complete radio broadcast on three CDs, five programs in all. Order both the book and audio CDs today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or visit our website to place your order, swrc.com. And today, as a bonus, when you order on the Eve of Adam book and three-CD set of radio broadcasts, we'll include a free copy of J.R. Church's book, Mystery of the Menorah. So call today, 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Pastor Larry Spargimino stops by now to answer an important Bible question for us. Pastor Larry, what are the differences between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant? God is the God of promise and fulfillment. There are many ancient promises of the Old Testament. As time has passed, we see that these promises have been fulfilled, some in the Old Testament and also in the New. They are perfectly fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who is the mediator of a new and better covenant. The Bible speaks about a new and better covenant. The new and better covenant is called the new covenant. Now, what is the new covenant? Simply put, it is a better covenant than the old covenant because it changes hearts. It has a better high priest because the high priest is, in the language of Hebrews, a priest after the order of Melchizedek, according to Hebrews 7, 1 through 10. He was without mother or father or a traceable genealogy. The old animal sacrifices which really could not bring about the complete forgiveness of sin are now gone. Jesus Christ has made a sacrifice of eternal and complete efficacy. Jesus' sacrifice doesn't have limited application. It endures forever. As a matter of fact, Hebrews 10 verse 12 speaks about Jesus and explains, But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. As Jesus said in John 19.30, it is finished. This was hinted early in Jesus' ministry. In John 1.29, we read of John the Baptist pointing to Jesus and saying, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. I want to read Hebrews 8, verse 6 through 13 and make a few comments as we go along. And then we will look at some of the implications and applications of the new covenant. Hebrews 8, 6 and following says this, But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry 
by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. Now, this is speaking about the ministry of Jesus Christ in comparison with the priest of the Old Covenant. Notice it is a more excellent ministry than the priest of the Old Covenant. And notice the words in verse 6, better covenant and better promises. Better means better than the previous covenant, which had many limitations and which was provisional in nature. Continuing with Hebrews 8, verse 7, For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. The first covenant had fault. It was lacking in something. That's why God made a second covenant. Hebrews 8, verse 8 explains, For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. The fault was with the people in that they were weak and were not able to live up to the demands of the law. And consequently, the fault was also with the old covenant because it was not able to adequately deal with the weakness of the people. Hebrews 8 verse 9 says, Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. Hebrews 8 verse 10 explains, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. Now here is the essence of the new covenant, the law of God written in the minds and hearts of the people. The law was written on stone tablets, but that did not change anything. The law needed to become an internal dynamic, an inside force. There needed to be an inner persuasion and a deeper understanding that leads to changed lives and newfound power for holy living. While all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable, according to 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is not equally applicable to all people for all time. The Old Covenant is temporary and provisional in nature. It was for a time when the people of God were in their infancy. Those under the Old Covenant were in their infancy. They needed various helps and reminders. The rituals had a place for them. But God's purpose was far larger than the Jewish nation under the Old Covenant. While all Scripture is profitable and for us, all Scripture is not about us. We may celebrate Jewish festivals and practices. We don't keep them because we're not under the same covenant as ancient Israel. Don't forget to order today's special anniversary month offer, J.R. Church's classic book on the eve of Adam and the complete series of radio broadcasts with Noah Hutchings and J.R. Church, five programs on three CDs. Order both the book and audio CDs today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or visit our website to place your order, swrc.com. And today, as a bonus, when you order on the Eve of Adam book and three-CD set of radio broadcasts, we'll include a free copy of J.R. Church's book, Mystery of the Menorah, 1-800-652-1144. Tomorrow, we head back to the 90s with another classic program from the Radio Vault. 
Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and has been supported for over 90 years by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com. Oh,